how do we have a positive impact on the world that we live in? And how can we maximize value creation and well-being, right? And that goes into very much the idea of long-term innovation. So it's about value creation, the definition of innovation. How do we create value, right? Welcome to the Innovation Metrics Podcast, where we bring you the latest on innovation management. We provide insights on how to measure innovation, innovation accounting, and managing the uncertain process of developing new, sustainable, and profitable business models. You can find links to the main topics covered in this episode and information about the guests and hosts in the show notes, or go to our blog on innovationmetrics.co. Your host is Aaliyah Eilert. Hi, Annie. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Do you want to tell the listeners a bit about yourself? Do you want to tell yeah, us yeah. a bit about your background? Awesome. Sure. Very brief. Um, I usually um, introduce myself as an entrepreneur who is passionate about helping other entrepreneurs succeed. And uh, I think entrepreneurship has been sort of a common thread throughout everything I've done. Uh, for my, what is it, 25 plus years career, if you want to call it that. Uh, I, I always see myself as not really employable. Uh, <laughs> I've started a number of companies myself, um, sold some of them. Uh, I've coached uh, some 200 plus uh, startup teams, um, mentored some of them and invested in some of them as an angel. Uh, I worked as a venture capitalist uh, very briefly for a small venture capital outfit here in Stockholm. I'm based in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, and um, after about, what is it, 10 years working with startups in various capacities, uh, I switched target group to large uh, multinational companies. Uh, so I worked with the companies like um, H&M, uh, Telia, uh, Tieto, uh, a, a number of different large multinational companies. And it's been focused on, on the one hand, um, coaching and advising leadership, how to uh, develop innovation strategies, how to uh, measure what they're doing within the organization, uh, sort of the beginning of an innovation accounting system, et cetera processes and so on and so forth and then also coaching internal uh, entrepreneurship teams on tools and methods for uh, you know running disciplined data-driven experiments and um, uh, developing a business model over time um, so those two tracks so it's been a lot about teaching and coaching really for large complex organizations which has its drawbacks, <laughs> but it's also been a very interesting journey. Now I'm thinking maybe the, the third step will be somewhere in the middle, not small startups and not large multinational companies, but rather maybe mid-sized companies where you have the possibility of perhaps having more of an impact. This is the thing when you talk to, you know, when we talk to you, I guess the, the fact that you have, um, you know, or seriousness that you, that you have this, um, you know, massive experience. So when I, when I started out becoming interested in the startup and these sort of things, you were one of the big names, right? And you continue being that. And so now um, uh, you're you're teaching in in universities as well, I think. Yeah. So that's a that is a big part of what you're doing as well, no? 
Yeah, well, it has become more of what I've been doing in the past years. But I've yeah. had a, a close collaboration with the KTH Royal Institute of Technology here in Stockholm for yeah. is it eight years now. Yeah. Uh, and just uh, recently, they they wanted me to uh, become the course director of business model innovation. Uh, so I've yeah. done that course for them, and that's yeah. what is it, seventy something international students. So that's been a lot of fun, but not maybe not so fun when you come to grading each individual assignment, <laughs> and you have to read about Netflix versus Blockbusters ten times over. But <laughs> ten times over, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's been a fun journey. So, yeah, I like that. And and I also teach uh, on the executive side. So for their executive school. Um, so companies yeah. coming in for training. And, um, and your company is called Lean Ventures, right? Yeah, so. they forced me to actually uh, name it Lean Ventures International. Uh, otherwise, it was too generic, they thought. So it's Lean Ventures International AB or Axiobolog then, which is okay. uh, P- PLC. Yeah, yeah, Swedish. Yeah, fantastic. And um, yeah, so we'll be linking obviously to um, to that and, and the show notes for the listeners for those uh, for those who want to get in touch. And so then the other thing was that, um, and that's what we want to talk about today. Maybe we jump into that. But there are a couple of things that I really want to talk to you about. But this is this is a this is a great opportunity because I've been looking around who to talk to about it. And you've been intimately involved in the beginning, at least, uh, of creating the. ISO standard for innovation management. Yeah, well, not not at the beginning, I wouldn't say. Um, right. I've been part of it because it's yeah. such a big apparatus. Um, you know, ISO um, is is a, is a huge organization spanning what is it, 160 countries or yeah. something like that. Um, so uh, I've I've played a very minor role, but I was part of a technical committee here in Stockholm. Yeah, uh, and we co-wrote the uh, the ISO 56. Uh, five six zero 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 standard for innovation management. Yeah, which was the so now just to maybe let's let me let's give the listeners an overview because like when you look at it quickly, it's actually not that simple to look at what's going on there. So maybe correct me. So the that's the series the five six zero zero. Yeah, it's, a, it's yeah, it's split up into different ones. Like so, you have yeah. uh, actually for innovation management system, it's five six zero zero two. Uh, innovation management assessment it's 56004 and then we have yeah. one for technology which is just a 56000 right yeah. and then you have a colon and then you have the year after which when it was published right so terminology was published in 2020 uh, the uh, system in 2019 uh, and then there's still additions being made uh, uh until today right yeah i saw one is to 2026 something is scheduled for 2026 i don't know if i can interpret that correctly like innovation management system requirements 2026 tbc i i don't really know what that means nor do i um, actually but but maybe important to to note that this yeah. is a guiding standard it's not something that you can actually uh, certify a company against or right. or according to the standard it's more like i mean if you if you look at it it's like a set of general statements and checklists, right, regarding innovation management centered around a, a number of core principles that is, is there as a guide for, for organizations to uh, have when they're yeah. trying to implement an innovation management system. So maybe like what, like the two things that will be interesting, at least to me, um, like who's, who created these standards 
And then what were the hopes for those standards? And then thirdly, how, how are we going with implementation? Is it, you know, how, how far is it helping? Well, how should folks use it? I think you just started touching on it, but so who, who created the standards? So how, how does that work? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the, the standards are not created by ISO as the organization. So yeah. um, it's, it's, ISO is more like the orchestrator and and a, a standard can come about uh, through the initiative of anyone really who wants to uh, start a a work group uh, to promote that so they'll they'll make a draft uh, proposal and then that's shared uh, with other uh, organizations around the world and then they look at it and then there's a voting procedure and mm -hmm. if it's uh, voted on and, and you reach a consensus, then uh, it moves towards becoming a standard. And if it doesn't, then you have to revise it, right? And, and that was my experience being part of the committee here in Sweden. Um, I mean, really, we <laughs> were pretty rigorous uh, in, uh, in scrutinizing like uh, every word and every comma sign. Yeah? It was moved around at least twice. <laughs> Yes, okay. so I felt it was a little bit of a of a bureaucratic process, I must say. But I mean, on the on the positive side, of course, this is a an attempt at reaching uh, some form of uh, you know consensus or agreement across a large uh, span of organizations internationally, uh, so that you can have it as a as a benchmark, um, and also you 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 benefit from the ISO brand, right? Um, that has been vetted through that. Um, so um, it, really, it's uh, up to each each in, uh, individual uh, who wants to create a, a technical uh, committee and attract experts uh, and discuss how yeah. to create yeah. new standards. And, and, and how did and, you? Uh, yeah. And how did you get on the committee? So it's this TC. What was it? Two. So how did yeah. you get on TC two two seven nine? How did was, that work? I, I I can't really remember. I think it was the German yeah. that that invited me, or if I asked, mm -hmm. uh, you took the initiative and said, "Hey, you, is, yeah, any way of joining?" I really yeah, can't cool. remember, but but it was yeah. very simple. Uh, and suddenly I was there in a committee, and we we met uh, uh, occasionally and uh, had lunch, and then we sat and we discussed uh, text documents. <laughs> What should be in there? What's the definition of innovation? You know, yeah. and then we had a discussion, and then we put something down in writing, and then we sent it off yeah. to the other yeah. ones, and then they they voted on it, and they came back with with comments. And at the end of the day, we had a, a definition, an ISO definition of, of the meaning of innovation, and so Very on. So important forth. if you want to create a standard for it, got to get that done right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which is interesting, like for everybody who listens, if you don't have a, um, a definition of innovation within your organization, probably yeah. very hard to manage the whole thing, right? And, and then you can lean on that ISO standard and then, yeah, makes it easy. Um, so mm. yeah, that's that's the general idea. And I, I mean, I think perhaps, uh, I don't know if, if innovation being maybe a little bit different from what ISO started out uh, doing, uh, I think... I mean, ISO goes back to what is it, 1947 or something? It's a it's a very old organization, and and the idea uh -huh. was to promote uh, trade between uh, countries to make it yeah. easier, mm -hmm. and to um, I mean, you know, if you build a um, an elevator, you make sure that that elevator is not going to fall down to the ground, right? And you want to be able to standardize uh, and make sure that there's a good quality and so on and so forth, so that other organizations, companies yeah, that can. 
produce these parts and so on and so forth, right? And it's that like the screws fit into each other, so exactly. that kind of stuff, of right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. Uh, but but with innovation, um, <laughs> you know, each company exactly. has their own way of doing it, and I think it should be that way. But it's good if we can agree on a number of core principles, just like um, the um, uh, Agile Manifesto is a very good example of that, right? It's a set of core principles that we should adhere to. But then uh, the nuts and bolts of how to actually do it, I think, uh, will be very different from organization to organization. Right? I hope I don't have to cut this out later, but did you did you not write this great piece on the Agile Manifesto? Like a year ago, yeah, so a, oh, we linked that definitely. That's updating that, that to the 21st century. Yeah, but it's yeah. kind of widening the scope a little bit because yeah, yeah, the IGL yeah. manifesto was so so focused on the coding aspect mm-hmm. uh, rather than the uh, actual job yeah. to be done, yeah. as, which has become very much in focus in the last few years. Yeah, no, I love that article. I remember. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so then. Uh, so then you guys started working on it and you defined a few core principles. And so those principles are... Um, yeah, the principles, uh, really, there are eight principles. Uh, it's the, one is the realization of value, which is very core to the definition of the word innovation. It's not just an invention. It's not just you know, R&D. It has to reach the market and has to deliver some form of new value, right? Uh, it's um, principle number two would be future-focused leaders, uh, the idea of developing an innovation strategy, a vision for the future regarding innovation, an innovation thesis, you could say. Yep. Uh, strategic direction would be a, a principle. Culture, building a culture of innovation, which is about you know behaviors, what people actually do, not just necessarily what they say or put on a post-it note, but actual actions. Yep. Uh, so yep. you need to put that into process. You need to measure what you're doing. You need to incentivize, right? So that how you build your culture over time. Uh, then uh, you have a principle called exploiting insights, one about managing uncertainty, yeah. uh, another one about adaptable structures, and then the last one, systems approach, that is a systemic approach. Yeah. You can't just yeah. do a workshop here or a little thing over there. It, so it, it, you need to take a systemic approach when you're working with innovation because it's so so complex, right? But but again, coming back, it's it's a... Uh, the ISO standard is it's very general in its uh, wording. It does not really give you very much um, sort of specifics of how to do it, right? Uh, I mean, if you if you want, I could just read you uh, a paragraph or two uh, to give you an well, idea of, of I, the I was context. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, an ISO standard around culture and measuring culture, you know, that in, in innovation, <laughs> that seems like... Yeah. It's it's I'm, more I'm, like I'm all for I'm all for giving guidelines, but that that would be fantastic, you know, for folks. I think to to if we could actually look into that a little bit, you know, and then maybe how you feel like people should use it, like how how should managers pick it up, you know, and and go with it. Maybe like how how would you recommend that, you know, what, what would be the best way well, of approaching it and then starting a conversation in your organization? I think it's a good starting point is to be very concrete about listing all the barriers to innovation, right? Yes. So a barrier to innovation could be, for example, uh, we are asked to innovate, but we are not taught what that means. Uh, we are not given the support in terms of coaching and training. And also we're not giving the time to do it. So we're expected to do our line function and incremental innovation or what have you, but this potentially disruptive uh, transformational innovation, uh, there's no no time to do that. 
uh, or to focus on that area. So in a uh, sense, I'm so, may I, sorry, may I jump in? This is great. So I usually talk about it as, so when you, this is an ecosystem approach and basically what you're saying is look at like the bottleneck or I call it the limiting factor to to this to this approach uh, to to building this ecosystem up and so in a sense the 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 eight principles mm-hmm. you would argue or do you argue are the the building blocks of an innovation ecosystem therefore and you would think you could go and what uh, of these eight cornerstones is the most limiting factor right now what is the most what is the biggest uh, blocker to innovation is that is that a way we could use it systematically is that, or is well, that just I, I me interpreting it yeah i mean totally definitely it, it. systematically is a good word because it's it's seen as a checklist that you make sure that you go through that you have considered uh, each of these aspects yeah. Uh, yeah. because you're not going to implement sort of ISO uh, from one day to the next. It's a process over probably yeah. several years. And that's that's also an issue because a lot of uh, CEOs uh, kind of, you know, go to another company after some years and then yeah. it all starts up from beginning yeah. again yeah. and, yeah. you know, start mm-hmm. and stop situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, embedded in this whole uh, set of principles is, of course, the idea that innovation is a long-term uh, marathon rather than a hundred meter sprint, and that we need yeah. to be consistent in our approach to developing the muscle for innovation. Yeah. Um, and it is not just the training and coaching; it's also about the uh, hiring of entrepreneurially minded people and giving them the opportunity to actually mm-hmm. act in an entrepreneurial way. Mm-hmm. And that goes very much uh, against normally what is being done in a company. I mean, we can see large companies. Speaking about innovation and saying it's very important and we need to do something, but when it comes to actually changing the structures and the incentives and the way things are done, that's usually where it stops, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just very much sort of the... Uh, finessing around uh, the fun stuff that uh, that you can have. But uh, when, when you really want to change something, you need to change the way people act on a daily basis. And that includes hiring, training, coaching, structures, incentives, the whole thing. That's a systemic approach. And that's tough. That's very tough for a lot of large companies to do. Um, but this is a guiding standard that that sort of acts as a checklist where you can go through, oh, have you thought yeah. about this? Have you thought about this? What about this? You know, and then you, you kind of work on that uh, as as you see fit when, when you have the ability and time to do so. Um, yeah, so there's great. no time limit that it has to be done in a certain manner or in a certain time. Just uh, circle out maybe would be culture and insights. Yeah, there, there are two different sort of nerdy angles to that. And that would be they're really interesting or or something else you just recommend maybe as it is. Yeah, I don't have the specific text for culture in front okay. of me, but I have a snippet no, of managing uncertainty and risk. And I just wanted to read it so that you can see how kind of general the way Perfect. it's stated. It's, it's like a, you know, a committee type. Because that's the thing, right? If you get, on the one hand, a lot of people cooperating to create a document, that's good because you have a discussion and you reach consensus and understanding for each other culturally and informationally, right? But it also, the more cooks, right, the, 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 the more likely that you're going to spoil the soup or rather you create a sort of a gray middle 
uh, way that doesn't say much, right? And that's right, that's why I wanted right. to show you here. Uh, if you look at, for example, managing uncertainty and risk, what are they written there? And so we we written uh, innovation activities need to address high degrees of variation and uncertainty, particularly during the early creative phases. They are exploratory and characterized by search, experimentation, and learning. As the process progresses, knowledge is gained and uncertainty is reduced. Yeah. Okay. You know. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Not much yeah. to disagree with that. Yeah. But it, yeah. <laughs> it's not gonna it's not gonna tell you like, you know, the specifics of how to do it or give you yes. you know yes. It, it's very kind of general yes. and very careful in its statements. And uh it's I think for people who never done innovation previously or doesn't have any entrepreneurial experience, this is a great document to lean um on, you know. But there's so much information out yeah. there. Yeah. So many great books, so many great podcasts, so much you know that that you can take from anywhere. And I I think uh, we we are also seeing that there is becoming I think more and more consensus within within the innovation community as we're working and and vetting things against each other. Uh, there, the, I think the the basis of these common principles are are to some extent there. I think then we'll have different tools that we use. Some people use design thinking, other people prefer lean startups, and some people mix the two. And we've seen jobs to be done theory uh, coming into the you know forefront, uh, and it's it's there are no real um, watertight compartments. We're borrowing from each other, and we're we're working uh, with different tools and methods, but based on the same common types of principles that we need to measure what we're doing. We need to work. In an agile way, basically meaning you know short sprints where we actually measure what we do and va validate based on that, and not just go on our gut feeling. Uh, the the idea that we need an innovation strategy and innovation thesis is, uh, I think, quite established, but not many people do that. Unfortunately, you walk into a large organization and you ask for these documents, uh, they don't seem to exist in any shape or form, uh, which is, um, I think, always a, a good starting point. Yeah, we're working on it, don't we? So I'm wondering if, <laughs> with great passion. So yeah, I'm wondering, have you seen people maybe in a context of trying to gain influence within the organization, arguing for those principles, um, using the standard as like, yeah, but come on, manager, come on, CEO, you know, whoever. Um, there's this is the ISO standard. What I'm talking about here is not crazy. You know, right. this is not some uh, metaphysical stuff. This is not some, you know, first of all, there's, a, you know, there's, we can manage this and these are the things we need to manage. And, mm -hmm. and given the weight of the organization of the name ISO, right? Mm -hmm. ISO, uh, has that actually helped? Or is it the theories? Like, you know, do you know about it? Like, no, I don't personally know about it, yeah. but mm -hmm. it just makes perfect sense. Just like you're saying, if, if there is a, uh, a doubt amongst leadership that we're doing it the right way or that you know this is a standard that's been vetted and and discussed yeah. Yeah. with all these different countries and these different people yeah. it's it's uh, not something taken out of thin air uh, that can reduce the uncertainty and risk of implementing something like this so i think that is definitely a, a, a big advantage yeah of course so, compared fantastic. to just coming in with a book you know out of millions of books Uh, this is this is something yeah. different. So. so this is great. So I'm what I'm hearing. So the value, um, I, I hear two value propositions here. One is when you just when you want to get started, mm -hmm. and 
there are all these books and you know sure we could recommend two or three but how do you really know then this is a really great way of getting started that's mm. the one thing and the other thing is to influence internally influence leadership influence the organization with those principles um being able to being able to draw on you know the weight of a peer-reviewed process with a with a with a credible organization behind yeah so those those are like the two things i think we can circle out for now already or yeah. i can yeah that's Absolutely. great mm-hmm. this is great yeah because i think it was received in a mixed way you know and I, and you can't imagine you know you hear different things and I, i was super excited just like wow i couldn't you know i couldn't believe it i don't know what it says about me but and then um yeah <laughs> you're like a nerd like me you know <laughs> yeah. no we, we love this stuff what yeah, can we do super exciting right and then you have yeah. actually performance and evaluation and there is a big um it, yeah. it is something um, that is mentioned. Um, also, I think a step in 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 the, in the direction that innovation management is maturing. Uh, I mean, we yeah. there's still people out there who think it's you know sit on the beanbag and play around and be creative. It's just a bunch of creative people coming up with ideas. Uh, but <laughs> but no, we have tools and methods and processes. We can teach innovation just like you can teach any other subject. You know, it's just as as stringent and uh, metrics driven as financial accounting or what have you right it's it's yeah. and, and it should have that kind of um uh level of importance within an organization as well so well yeah that helps statistically with the iso standard yeah Andy, what do you think are some of the when when you think about an a corporate or maybe government or larger organization ecosystem like what are the what are really the big red flags Yeah. I think like an entrepreneur because that's how how I see the world and I and and I think one of the big challenges within a big complex organization or like a government organization is the lack of sense of ownership the connection to what you're doing to the actual customer or uh, person to der- to derive the value from what you're doing you're more focused on just getting through the day perhaps doing your tasks but they're disconnected from the actual value creation aspect use checking off a list i've done this i've done this report i've done but what's the job to be done how do i create value how do i get connection and communication directly with the person or the people that i'm trying to create value for uh, that's the big challenge right the ownership aspect yeah and then of course when, once you get that mind shift going which is important i mean we, we start with the with changing or trying to at least open up the idea of looking at the, the world through a different lens Uh, and once that sort of starts catching on, you want to introduce tools and methods and so on to help them actually do uh, innovation, entrepreneurship, uh, and not just talk about it. So there's a lot of handholding at the beginning, which is, I think, normal, until they can fly on their own <laughs> and crash a little bit. <laughs> But that's good too. And, and another thing that just um, that just pops to mind, uh, I, I could go so many ways. But going back to culture, what are your? Do you have some tips around measuring culture? So you you pointed out we're looking for specific behaviors, behaviors you think we can start now. You know, um, mm-hmm. start measuring, yeah. start creating a baseline, like maybe a few <clears throat> things. You know, like I think it's 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 one of the big ones folks struggle with. You know, mm-hmm. you need you need to look at it, I think from uh, different levels within the organization. You'll have the uh, strategic uh, KPIs, and you'll have the more tactical operational 
KPIs and you'll have different areas within the organization. So you will have KPIs, I think, that are relevant for HR. I mean, in terms of hiring uh, people with an entrepreneurial mindset, how do they do that? What, what's the process there? What questions do they ask during the interview? What, what people are they looking for when they put it into the job description? It needs to flow through the whole organization and there are bits and pieces that need to work together. Uh, and it's, um, again, the, the idea that we need to measure is not necessarily established either uh, amongst no. uh, everyone. Uh, some people think that you can't measure innovation and then you'll have a, a, a blocker right there that you need to get through and you need to see that you get to some kind of consensus that yes, we can measure innovation and not only we can, we should. Uh, and, uh, you know, so depending on the organization, there will be different barriers and you need to identify the barriers first so that you can then uh, in, in a disciplined manner kind of work through each barrier to minimize or mitigate them, right? And, and I wrote another article a long time ago. I think I just listed off the top of my head like 40 different barriers to innovation. And I think that's a good starting point, looking at that, ordering it under different headings, uh, and then just work, working or working through the, through those barriers within the organization. And, and uh, <clears throat> I keep coming back to the barrier of... Uh, lack of time, lack of budget, you know, uh, okay. lack of full-time teams. Uh, I mean, at Amazon, for example, they have something called single-threaded teams and their full-time teams focused on only one big challenge. They don't have 50 th different things that they're doing because they know that they're not going to move uh, forward in any sensible manner, right? They, they need full-time teams and that's what you need when you want to work with, with complex things like creating space for potentially transformative or disruptive innovations. That's not something that you can do on a part-time basis. Um, so that's, again, identify barriers and work to mitigate them step-by-step. Step. That's how you change the culture over time. Uh, you Lovely. don't change the culture by having a workshop where you agree on different value words and you put them on a post-it. No. no slap them on the wall, and then you have a, a summary report with these words in it, and then everyone goes back to doing what they've always done. That's not a culture change. Yeah, That's just yeah. a frustrating exercise because I think whenever you do a workshop, if you haven't thought about what's going to happen after the workshop, before you do the workshop, don't do the workshop at all because usually what you do is you create all these expectations and then nothing happens and then people get frustrated and then the next time you come with the idea of let's do a workshop people are just going to be sneering at you because nothing happened the last time yeah why are we wasting our time this time yeah, you see this maybe you know the it's positive the thing is like opposite yeah it's like a positive outing you know where you can stop thinking about work and have some fun and then you go back to work but <laughs> the point is with the workshop is that it should change the way you work in the future but it, it hardly ever does um, so. No, it's absolutely. It's 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 so funny. It's like these workshops. They 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 may do the ex the absolute opposite. Let's say, in whatever shape or form, we do measure current. Oh, you know what? Actual behaviors. Here, here we go. Like, and a very simple one. Um, usually not the most important one, but a very simple one. So people contributing ideas, right? So how many people are contributing ideas? We we are aware that entrepreneurship is a dangerous game. So it's usually one of the best things to kill your career. Like the chance of success are low. Uh, you don't get funded. It's it's you know you, you do it on the side, uh, which means uh, you know you, you take away from achieving your the other goals that are really important and so on. And so uh, anyway, so you know it's really like do we even contribute? Do we even tell? Do do we do we take any kind of action? And then you say you know what we're all innovative now. We have this platform where we yeah collect ideas now you know because that's what innovation is and so on. And fair enough, it's a part all good. And then you hype everybody up 
and not just a few people. You don't run an experiment or so. No, the entire organization or you know unit or whatever. People are actually hopeful. I can contribute. I can bring my whole self now. I can you know point out where I think we can create more value, where customers are underserved, where we can you know all these things. And then nothing gets implemented. The idea gets chosen from you know anyway the manager with the biggest influence and and so your initial baseline of actually willingness to contribute, let's say, and we have a lot underneath that, like how connected are you with your company, how much, and so on. And yeah. you drop below that baseline. And I think we see that in workshops as well, where we have, I think, essentially, um, folks who run workshops are very good at, especially in innovation, delivering dopamine, hmm. right? So, or yeah. whatever the neurochemical is and I don't mm. know, maybe it's another one, but, you know, I always <laughs> use dopamine, um, <laughs> you know, so you're hyped up and uh, you feel great and you think you can punch and you, you know, you can do things and you're empowered maybe and then nothing happens. Right. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, that's, it's very dangerous actually. And you think like, um, just, just don't do it might be good advice if you don't. And basically is not what you're saying. Like if you don't know what you specifically want to achieve, and how to measure that, maybe you don't actually want to touch it hmm. until you work hmm. that out, right? Yeah, whatever you do needs to land in a, in, a, in a bit of a longer plan. And and the idea of defining early on, what is your level of ambition when you approach innovation? How much money are we going to actually put in? And how long yeah. term are we going to do this? And what kind of portfolio bets do we want to build? Yeah. And, and also having a bit of a reality check on the um, success ratio, because... Yeah. Maybe uh, they start a little accelerator program and they put in like three teams and they hope to get one big success out of that or what have you. And then they become disappointed, but then they haven't really done the reality check of how many bets it takes to really have a statistical uh, probability of succeeding at, at whatever level they've defined. I mean, we all know the examples of Y Combinator and, and so on and so forth. You know, you remove the winner uh, from uh, the, the the biggest success from Y Combinator's portfolio of thousands and thousands of bets, and then you have the yeah. value of the entire portfolio, and then you do the second one, and then you and have, I have the to value say, again. You and, know? And, and and another reality check: it's not easy to become Y Combinator. That's an yeah, outlier exactly. in itself. I, I, exactly. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I think also that you know that the idea that innovation you can find a lot of quick fixes and the success ratio is much higher than it actually is, is a bit of an issue. Uh, at the same time, uh, there's this, uh, how do you say, like a black hole of of just this enormous suction effect towards, you know, next quarterly report uh, and, uh, you know, uh, performing well within the existing business and so on and so forth, especially if the business is doing really well and it's, it's generating profit. Why change something that, that is working? <laughs> but the, it, it's, again, it's the, it's the mind shift that needs to come into place based on uh, empirical data that we have that we can show very clearly uh, what, what can happen if you do not put in money into innovation long-term and not used a little bit, but a significant amount <laughs> to give yourself that insurance that you're going to exist long-term. But then again, what's in it for the CEO if they're going to change you know, seats in a few years? So then we start talking about things like, well, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to be remembered for when you hand over you know, and so forth and so forth? How's but the CEO I, measured, I, right? 
Yeah, but I think it, it really, we always keep coming back to that. And it's, it has to do with whatever the incentive structure uh, right. that you have in the organization, because incentives drive behavior. So incentives, again, is, of course, directly connected with the building of culture. If you have the wrong incentives, no matter what you do, you're never going to build the culture that you want. So you need to you know, discuss that as well. And it becomes a little bit like an ISO thing, because if you want to have an impact of an innovation in a large or complex organization, you can't use delegate that to one person somewhere in the corner of the organization. There's going to be a number of senior individuals within the organization that have to be involved and have these meetings to discuss exactly sort of how are we going to do this across the organization, especially when we talk about incentive structures, which is such an important part. Uh, HR needs to be involved. Uh, everyone needs to be involved uh, to to hash those out. Um, so it's 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 not an easy game, and that's I think why people back off because they feel it's just too much to take on. But you know, we we can also have the discussion about resources within an organization, right? So if a company is being profitable, what happens to the money? Some of it is being paid out as dividends, right? Some of it is used as sort of financial engineering type, buying back your own outstanding shares to uh, increase earnings per share, which of course usually is directly connected to the incentive structure for senior executives. The the, the higher the share price, the higher their, their, um, their, you know, remuneration, uh, which is can be a bit of a, a problem because share price is a, is a short-term movement while innovation is a long-term thing, right? You have other other ways of, of uh, using the money, of course. You can invest into your existing business, right? Incremental innovation, et cetera, et cetera, marketing, sales, and so on and so forth. But how often do we talk about what percentage of revenues or what percentage of, of uh, earnings per share is being Invested into long-term innovation. How yeah. do you define that? That yeah, that true. number never is never brought up. But it, it's, I, it's always like you know, you take a small piece of money from somewhere. Oh yeah, here is fifty thousand kroner. Uh, go and innovate, and then the budget is like billions and billions. The, yeah. the, the disconnect there yeah. is it's mind-boggling to me. And, and, and that's and that's really interesting. So when you think about the frustration or the issues around around corporate innovation, and mm. um, let me let me take a step back and and just arrive at that level again. So when when you started out, I suppose you you started coaching teams. Right, mm-hmm. we're like that's what we do. Yeah. Right, we take that experience a little bit, you know, from our entrepreneurial backgrounds and translate that, you know, into how do we manage projects better now? How do we make, you know, pivot, uh, kill, pivot, persevere decisions better? How do we measure yeah. and yada yada, right? Yeah. And so, and then we say, okay, and then you, again, you, you teach that to teams, and then they they can't really use it. Like, there's no way they can ever get any money against that stuff, uh, right? So they start, and and we have these problems, and then you you start talking to the next level of the organization, maybe you implement slightly better funding systems or better ways now, more and more at least, of looking at projects, and it doesn't really work, right? And then you go to the next level. And in the sense we're right now, what, or correct me, please, in a sense we're talking about, okay, we just arrived at the CEO, but it doesn't really work. So now we're talking at the board. Now, basically, the next step is talking about the board, and then the next step is talking about shareholders, right? So really, until we have like, what is it, a fourth bottom line report or something like that, but there's no pull. We did, we just don't see the pull right now from yeah. shareholders and boards. I mean, we see pull from boards, but then very quickly, we're talking about press releases. But right? from because shareholders, have... I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I don't know if I can agree completely because I mean, yeah. there's been measurements done on P ratios, right? And uh, I mean, price earnings ratio. So a higher price earnings ratio is uh, signaling that the market thinks that this company is going to grow faster than a company with a lower 
price earnings ratio. And if, okay. if you align that Fair. with the companies that are seen by the market as the most innovative, those usually carry higher PE ratios. So that's, so in the, a that's, way, the, that's what we call the growth stock or something like that. Right. I guess that and, exists and or not way, is a question, but that's that's the buzzword. Yeah. Okay. That, that would be an incentive for the CEO, very much so, right? Because that gives them uh, greater yep. uh, mergers and acquisition muscles whenever they want to purchase another company if their share is worth more because of the innovation premium, they will, you know, be able to to Get to uh, then let buy me other either... companies at a better fair fair rate, right? But, so, but then let me let me either push back or clarify, right? So mm -hmm. if they're still looking at the at the earning P ratio or earnings to price ratio, earnings per share, these kind of ratios, how well do you think currently uh, shareholders can be informed with proper data? Um, about the, the the real probability of let's say a future a future uh, a new product and a new business unit being created a new right so how well do you think that they can really how good are the data they currently have access to yeah when you I mean, think about all the way from the team to you know teams working on it to up there like because because what you say like how are these these ratios generated like okay let's talk about Tesla. If, mm -hmm. we, if we want to, they have, they have done, what is it? Like, that's an insane ratio. Mm -hmm. Like, how well is that ratio informed? You know, no, by I mean, the it's, 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 it's just demand and supply on the open market for buying those shares. Uh, and, uh, you know, the more people that buy the share, the, the more it goes so, up. Uh, and then you get a higher PE ratio. Uh, there you go, right? So, space, so right? we're not really... And, and, and that's just based on what they've seen so far coming out of Tesla in terms of innovation and in terms of what the market thinks that, that the company is going to be able to deliver in terms of growth and, okay. and so on and so forth, right? So, so that's, um, that's not really a report is what I mean, right? So that's not really uh, a report we can give... We can give shareholders, is it? No, I mean, there's no no such thing. But but you'll have a, a number of analysts looking at each company and, and predicting what they think is going to be the potential future for this company. Of course, that's very uncertain. But uh, you know, some companies have been having these innovation premiums for a long time. Not just Tesla, Amazon, etc. Yeah. And others are not even on the map in terms of that. Yeah. And, and all I'm saying is, I'm trying to find kind of arguments why. Uh, we as, or how we as as advisors or or coaches or consultants or whatever you want to call it uh, can try and get the um, senior executives more interested in putting more muscle behind innovation, and that yep. is, for example, what's going to be your legacy, right? So maybe that's a way for them to think it's not just about these coming years, but what do I want to be remembered for? And then also the idea of that this could give you an innovation premium, which gives you more M&A muscle whenever you're out there, you know, trying to acquire the companies. Sure. Okay. Uh, and then and there can be a number of reasons why, why you know, investing more heavily into innovation is a, is a good idea. And then also the idea that what is happening with the money today that is being generated if you are now currently running a, a successful business model. Okay, a lot of money is, is used to pay out into dividends. A lot of money maybe is being put uh, uh, on the balance sheet as some kind of war chest. Some money is being paid to buy your own shares on the open market and so on. But what about long-term innovation? How much of all that money that's sloshing around is being put into that? And do you measure that? even and why don't you measure that if you don't measure that and so on and so forth just sort of bring that up on the agenda that hey there's actually missing uh pipe here that we should also be putting some some funding into 
right? So, and I guess that's that's where we're on the same. That's where we, I think, share the same vision. I believe. Um, but I wonder, like, I think that's what we have to create. I think that or it, it's going to be very hard for for CEOs to make those decisions that you're talking about. Unless mm -hmm. again, there is something specific, qualitative, uh, quantitative uh, that we can that we can push up even further. I think that's that's really the that's mm -hmm. really the crux of it, you know. Um, But also, I'm thinking just like we are telling our clients, our customers, whenever they're doing innovation, the target group is so important, right? Who are you going yeah. to yeah. work? delivering yeah. the value to uh because sometimes it's not necessarily uh the idea that's wrong it's just you know you're you're, you're targeting the wrong uh, yeah. market and yeah. it should yeah. be the same thing for us and i've yes. come to the realization after doing this for many many years uh that maybe uh large multinational companies is the wrong thing for me i thought it was kind of cool and interesting and complex but if i want to have an impact I should really look at owner-led companies because instead of having a CEO that's there for a few years and so on and so forth and having a, a very tough time with everything that's going on, if you're working with an owner-led company, uh, they are usually thinking much more long-term anyhow because it's a family business, right? Uh, and uh, it's easier than, I guess, this is an assumption I have, to make significant uh, efforts to build innovation um, management within the, within such companies. If you can come to an, a, a kind of a agreement with those few people on the core principles of innovation and the importance of those principles. You go into a large multinational company, Nokia, I was visiting, visiting them and so on and so forth. I mean, you, you never really get to sit down with the CEO, right? Uh, you get to sit down with a person who is responsible for innovation and that person might be removed two or three or even four steps away from the very top tier. And, and they are marginalized within the organization. And you, you know, working with people who are marginalized usually doesn't lead to great impact long-term. And for me personally, I rather have impact within a smaller organization long-term than having done something on the fringes with a number of, of multinational companies. So that this is my take oh, on awesome. it right now. Yeah, awesome. And how, how do you think the long-term stock exchange can help? I think like, I know we're, like, we're talking about, we're not talking about ISO anymore. I think we had, a, we, yeah, must yeah, have, yeah, yeah, we must yeah. cut this episode somewhere else, but like, um, <laughs> and we, these are, this is not even, this is what I meant in the beginning, right? Like <laughs> we can sit here for hours and hours yeah. and just like fire we, away. We, right? we can go um, back to ISO, but I don't know how much. No, 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 no. But, to say there, really, no, I just, I just had to make a little of, chat for, for, of for the listeners. <laughs> we move the commas comma signs around. Okay. Uh, we do. We can. <laughs> can we do that offline? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, oops. How do you think the the the, the idea of the long term stock exchange? And again, you know, Eric Eric Reese's idea there. It sounds like, whoa, could could this work? Right? Like, mm -hmm. Could this be the right incentive structure for for CEOs? Is, is this really what we're talking about? Mm -hmm. um, to yeah, I'm not that informed about exactly the nuts and bolts of what he's doing. Uh, you'd have to tell me more about it, but just the general idea of trying to inform investors and have investors invest into companies or portfolios of companies that are uh, showing clearly that they're investing long-term for innovation, that's a great, great idea, I think. Uh, and uh, it, it, again, it comes to the incentive structures, right? Uh, what's the reason why they're doing this and so on and so forth? 
so that we can go away a little bit more from this short-term quarterly reporting yeah. hell that we're all stuck in. That sort of yeah. that's the, the the that black hole that just sucks all the attention, and then you end yeah. up with incremental innovation. Because many times when we've come into large multinational companies with the idea of doing innovation, we've always been sucked into incremental innovation because it's always business as usual. It's right now what we're going to do now for the next quarterly report. And and this long-term thinking is just, you know, we we never get there. And that's if 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 Eric Ries's idea with the long-term stock exchange can change that in some way, then I think that is fantastic. But uh, I don't know the nitty-gritty. They of couldn't, that. well, due to I think the statutory accounting requirements, they were not. And please, listeners, if you can comment here and and you know make it better, that would be great. Um, but they are not. Um, they still have to. Re- they still have to give all those reports. Um, you know, I don't think they get rid of whatever that didn't work. As far as I understand, we have to do an episode on this definitely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, find some folks who who you know who even know, who know even more about it. So then it becomes kind of a commitment, I guess, of the company. I don't know. I mean, at this point, who even wants to? It's not like ooh, everybody's running. Everybody's running for it, <laughs> yes. to it. Um, but then, yeah, they just make that. They just make that pick. And um, but I think even if he doesn't succeed now, uh, he's he's uh, approached an extremely complex problem and an important uh, area. So he's sort of created the first stepping stone for anyone else who maybe comes right. afterwards to continue. And so in that way, whatever he is doing is not a wasted time or wasted work or wasted effort. If people say it was been a failure, didn't work. It's the first stepping stone. And that stepping stone yeah. needs to be laid down, right? He did so it again. Yeah, it's this, uh, yeah, and and that goes kind of back to what we said before, or what we spoke about, and and you know who who needs um, what KPIs, what reporting, what 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 incentive structure, right? And so that's really that's kind of that's the highest level in a sense. You know, mm-hmm. we say we, we sign up here um, our shareholders. Mm-hmm. They want you to have a long term vision. They want you to have a long term investment plan, and I hope that they want to see evidence you know concrete evidence something that can um filter cascade up uh, filter down is wrong mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. aggregate uh sort of to the top you know if you, if you will and you know there are all these different ways uh we can measure innovation but at least from when we look at specific projects portfolios and you know what is the probability currently of your innovation portfolio of your funnel uh, to have a certain to what is the probability of have you know of creating what kind of value in how many years mm-hmm. um you know that that i hope is something that question hopefully gets asked more and more and and i i guess the the probability aspect there is, is very high risk if you have a very small portfolio only a few bets the more Correct. bets you have the more likely that that probability projection actually has some kind of you know likelihood of happening right yeah. it's just, it's just mm. because you, this is the thing it's a long-term uh, aspect and the, and it's a number of uh, a large number of bets that you need to make uh, but I'm I'm just thinking I just got an idea, and and, and uh, within large companies, uh, of course, it's become very popular with sustainability reporting. Like H and M has its whole, yes. you know, annual report just about sustainability yes. and how they source things uh, ecologically, and so on and so forth. Corporations goals, KPIs, and so on. Why not have like innovation management reporting as well? That would be real nice to see. Okay, yeah. this is the annual report. This is what we've done and what we're doing today, kind of short term, most of it. <laughs> and then we have this innovation management reporting, yeah. which is all about the long term. 
Yeah. Because I, to I, me, innovation equals long term, right? It, it, you, just, you just have to get that time frame of 10 plus years in there. Yeah. Uh, and it yeah. doesn't align with the average tenure of a CEO, which is somewhere around like, I think, six or seven years at the most. Um, so, hmm. Yeah, I think I, I wrongly call it the the um, the third bottom line is a triple bottom line. So the what is the yeah. what comes afterwards? The fourth, right? That's kind yes. of. But again, it's this push and pull. Like we're trying to push it, you know, and nobody asks for it. Yeah. And so, who is responsible for the system? You know, who's responsible for building a better system? And it's like, is it really the CEO's responsibility? At the you know, is it the is it the CFO? Like, who's responsible for it? Like, at the end of the day, you know, they they fought hard. They went to university. Their thing. They probably you know that probably wasn't that easy no you know and now you're there you know what to do you're like at least yeah. you know you know how to run the system and it's, it's, it always brings me back and I, I keep talking about it more and more and hope folks don't get too annoyed about it but like this 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 topic of empathy right as, as we apply it as we want teams to apply it to their to their customers how well am i applying it you know to the organizations i want to work with question number one but like how are you internally applying it how are innovation managers applying that and teams applying that to their managers and managers to their to leadership mm -hmm. right and i think like it's probably very hard to crack it just by going you know just just being mm -hmm. rightly frustrated but um and that's okay to, yeah. to be frustrated but where's that element of, of empathy towards like you know what the ceo can't just do they can't just do what they want and you know in a sense either and it, it takes away from exactly why they're here investing but, but that, 50 million in something that may or may not come true versus yeah. making sure yeah remember what i think it was alexander ostewalder who, who came out with the idea that we don't need just a chief executive officer we need a chief entrepreneurship yes. officer right so in a way there's another thing i've been thinking about instead of just going away from multinationals to more owner-led Uh, mid-sized companies to make a push again to try and educate or coach or get in contact yes. with the board of directors because the board of directors are the ones responsible for hiring the CEO and they should be equally be responsible for hiring a chief entrepreneurship officer yeah. so that the CEO exactly. who's been trained for the line function can focus on the line function and incremental innovation and the running of the operations but you also need to have someone at yes. that level yes. who reports directly to the board who is responsible for long-term innovation. Yes. Yes. That's the kind of yes. ambition level that we want to see uh, yes. for innovation to be taken seriously. It can't be yes. three levels away, you know, marginalized in the organization. That's the one thing. The other thing that you were pointing out, the the, the three bottom, uh, triple bottom line is, is people, profit, planet, right? Is that correct? The, these are the ones that you were thinking of? Correct. And what could be the fourth one then, right? And uh, again, um, profit, hmm. That's Milton Keynes' um, uh, situation where we, we come back to the idea that the only uh, purpose or the sole purpose of an organization is to maximize profits. Uh, this is a bit of a poison that has been taught in business schools over many, many years. Profit is very important. Yes, without profits, we cannot sustain organ the organization's development. But God knows profit should not be primary, right? Priority number one should be, of course, how do we have a positive impact on the world that we live in? How can we perhaps have as a guiding star maximizing uh, human well-being or within at least the target group that we have chosen? How can we maximize value creation and well-being, right? And that goes into very much the idea of long-term innovation. So 
it's about value creation, the definition of innovation. How do we create value, right? And and that maybe is something that could be sort of the fourth bottom line, right? So it's not just profit, <laughs> but value creation, right? <laughs> and what goes in there. Yeah. Because value creation doesn't have to be profits, you know, monetary. It, it actually has to be. Mm-hmm. But the final job to be done, which is how do we actually make this world a better place for us as, as humans? Yeah, big one. Wow. Yeah, but I and, think that's, and you that's, can, that's and really you important. Can use the IS, and you can use the ISO standard to achieve that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, you're looking just, at the principle of culture. Just, yeah. <laughs> that's to have a discussion about, you know, what kind of activities uh, do you want to see and, and why? And what are they supposed to lead towards? What's the strategic direction? Uh, and number one, principle number one, realization of value. Realization of value, according to ISO, is not just about profits. It's about a lot of other things as well, right? go. See, my silly joke worked out. The total accident. <laughs> total. total. <laughs> <laughs> it's just good. Yeah, fail forward. That was a total fail forward. Actually, I can give you exactly here the, the ISO uh, definition. Value is not limited to financial value, but can be any kind of value, such as an experience, well-being, or social value. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, this is good. Lane. When we think I about think, it, I think the discussion, yeah. I, I think the discussion of, of well-being uh, should be more on the agenda within large multinational organizations, uh, organizations in general. And we've seen this push also on a political level I mean, like, let's look at New Zealand, New Zealand, and other countries who are actually not used, you know, blindly staring at. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. They're they're looking more at the at the human well being index or yeah. happiness index or whatever you want to call Bhutan it. Bhutan is the other big, the yeah, other yeah. big one, right? The historical, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. or the other small one. Rather. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Good yeah, point. It's not very. It's not very big, but uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I I would like that to to be part and parcel a little bit of what I do. Um, and uh, again, it comes to choosing your customers. Sometimes you can't change people's minds, right? You you better find the ones that share your mindset and work with those instead to create value. Maybe it's a faster route, huh? I hear you. <laughs> it is hard, right? It is just so it is just so frustrating, you know. And I yeah. think you're in the fact, yeah. And I think what. The, the good thing here, and I said that recently in a podcast as well, like I think people should realize in large organizations that it is hard and that they're not alone. And mm-hmm. that, you know, ho- like be careful again, not to think that, you know, somebody else in another organization who just, you know, showed you some product release or something like that, you think everything's happy there. And mm-hmm. very likely, very likely a lot of, you know, that they're not, you know, this is not great either. I always say get together and build some peer groups. Just chat amongst each other. You know, it's like therapy, therapy for entrepreneurs, something. (laughs) (laughs) But it it does require a very specific type of individual to drive innovation in large, complex organizations. I mean, as you're Mm. running a startup, you have uh, product risk and you have market risk, but in large organizations, you have political risk. And it's not just... Uh, that you need to be uh, creative and interested in entrepreneurship and you want to test your ideas. You need to also work with the organization and all with sort of trying to find your place within all those rules. You can't change all the rules from day one. You can't be that super maverick that you could be if you're in a startup. And and that requires uh, a very specific type of individual with a lot of patience uh, as well as a lot of creativity. And those are not necessarily found in the same person. Very yeah, but you know what that's that's very much my purpose in a sense like that i don't like that i think um the best ideas you need to succeed the moment you need people with like say strong personalities who can you know present their idea well and influence and all that stuff that's what we're looking for right now i mean you know you get you get hired to do that 
mm. right? Like it's ridiculous. Please don't call mm. me. You know, the moment you see that in organizations, that's a big problem. Like if you need those folks and it goes together with, with stereotypes, with gender stereotypes, with, with all these sort of problems, like, you know, you, you, you foster usually the wrong people and not the mm. wrong people. They might, um, you, you just, you just don't draw on your assets, you know, on, on, on your, on, on, on what is, what is possible for the organization. And from a human perspective, like it just leaves too many people, uh, on the road, you know, and I don't, I don't like that. And I think a good system, um, yeah, would not require that whatsoever. And as you correctly say right now, that is the case. You need a lot of political influence. You need to, as you have so much uncertainty, you need to make it look like it's very certain. And, you know, you sort of then bet on that, usually that guy, you know, rather than the extra project. And then you have very few projects. And then you have that problem that you described earlier, very low, very low chance of actually something happening at the end of the day. And, that, and that's the frustrating part as, as, a, as an innovation uh, helper or advisor or coach, or whatever you want to call it, uh, the lack often that you feel uh, of impact, that you're working hard yeah. and you're trying to make a difference. Uh, and then uh, it's sort of this start and stop situation in large organizations uh, and you see that it doesn't really continue. So I had this other idea. I don't know if I should uh, also instead of just working with mid-sized companies, maybe start uh, some kind of educational uh, initiative uh, where you get young people who are in between high school and um, uh, gymnasium, we say here in Sweden, I don't know, it's a grade uh, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, uh, or maybe between that and when they start university, when they're still trying to find themselves a little bit, when they're still, I think, I guess, a bit moldable, uh, to introduce them and teach them about entrepreneurship, about innovation, and the importance of ethics, good values. That can be discussed what that is, of course. But if you have a guiding star of maximizing human uh, well-being, then usually a lot of things fall into place according to that. Either you are or you're not, right? Like introducing arsenic into the drinking water tomorrow wouldn't be good just because you're maximizing profits, right? Because it doesn't you know, promote well-being. So we shouldn't do that, right? So you have that guiding star in your actions and that becomes the foundation of ethics. And then you combine that with entrepreneurship, innovation, tools and methods and mindsets of how to actually create value towards that, then what we have is the basis of uh, positive long-term change in the world, because these young people are going to go into the world and they're going to have uh, thousands of interactions with individuals throughout their lifetime. And if, if you've managed to somehow plant the seed in them of, of what kind of people they, they become, uh, then that's a long-term impact that you can have long, long past after you you're gone yourself. That's your legacy then, right? So that's something I'm playing with and toying with. But I need some people to work with me on that. I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to do it myself. Uh, but that's also oh. something maybe we can discuss. Reach, yeah, lovely. Please reach out and yeah. please reach out to Andy about that. I guess right. Yeah. So again, just 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 scroll down. Yeah, yeah because it I feels think really that, good when you, you know, talk that, about it. Feels really good. I see. It's so like that. That sounds like. Yeah. And yeah, and you're on the money, right? Like that that is so much um more potential in because I think we we need to to bring up the discussion of ethics and value uh values, uh, what what we believe is important and what is our ultimate guiding star. Uh yeah. and we can do a lot of different things under that heading. Uh but it's is again the idea of sort of searching for the ultimate job to be done 
and having that as as your focal area for your life uh mm-hmm. and and uh, not only get sucked into this incremental rat race of trying to maximize profits every day mm-hmm. and it's a very hollow boring world that creates a lot of nasty externalities for a lot of people and uh and I, I've I got an idea who else yeah yeah I've got an idea who else um who else we should bring into this discussion um somebody in Sweden if he listens to it right now he will know <laughs> And then and not this... in Sweden, in Switzerland. Forgive me. Now I got this the classic mix up. <laughs> oh boy, it's like Australia yeah. and Austria. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, so again, every so thank you, thank you, Andy. This you know it's perfect. So fantastic. And um, your so there will be show notes and and your everybody who wants to get in touch with Andy can reach you on definitely on LinkedIn. Um, there will be an email. I'm sure. Do you are you using Twitter or? Yeah, I'm not very. I'm not active on Twitter at all. Okay. Actually, LinkedIn is my home. Okay, so, so use LinkedIn, folks, and um, and there will be all. Yeah, there will be all links to hmm. to reach you. Super. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was great talking to you. And let's continue this discussion afterwards as well. Yeah, and we touched some interesting things there. I think. So. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you, Annie. Thanks. All right.